Hi, I'm Charles. Hi, I'm Bailey. And you are listening to Hold Me, I'm Scared. Welcome back to Hold Me, I'm Scared, where each week we pick out a spooky topic and explore it. And this week, we are talking about hauntings. (laughs) And she's not just talking about our traumatic pasts. (laughs) No, but that would be accurate. So, what do you feel about hauntings and ghosts and the paranormal? Are you a believer? Are you a non-believer? We, I think we've, I mean, we definitely talked about it, like touched on this before, but I don't know. I, I think ghosts might be real. <laughs> I, I think I'm also in that same vein of like, I don't know. I, I've had really strange things happen and seen some really odd things, but I don't know. Because your mind plays tricks on you all the time. Like, how many times have you... I can't tell you how many times in this apartment that I've seen the same black spot on the wall that's always been there, or, like, a shadow from just anything, and it's always there. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a bug. I'm like, oh, my God, it's a spider. And then it's, like, not. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, this is not to derail us, but speaking of spiders, I had to kill a family of spiders yesterday. Murderer, what happened? So I, the family that I babysit for, I was like, at the end of the day, I was cleaning up the kids' toys and stuff, and I like was cleaning up some Legos, and I look, and there's this spider web extending like all the way across the back corner of their like basement slash playroom, and throughout the web, there are like four separate huge spiders. <laughs> And I was like, Just oh, all no. oh, no. Hey. <laughs> and so I finished cleaning up, and then I was like, how am I going to tell this mom that she, because she hates bugs. Like, she is not a bug kind of guy. And I was like, how am I going to tell her? And my brain literally went, okay, so you should say, I have something not very cash money to tell you. And then I was I'm like, "I'm sorry, I have something not very cash money to tell you." And then I was like, "No, workshop it." So then um, I was like, "Hey, everything went really well." I was like, "So you do just?" I go, "I'm gonna take care of it, but you do have a family of spiders living in your basement." <laughs> and she was like, her jaw just like hit the floor, and she was like. Bailey, no. And I was like, listen, it's fine. I'm from the country. Um, Do you have like a spray? Because one time I killed a spider and it had babies. And then I had 300 spiders in my apartment that I had to squish. So I think it's best we use a spray. So, uh, and she was, I was like, I will take care of them for you. And so she was like, I, she was like going through all her stuff. She's like, I don't have a, a spider spray. Yet. She's like, a roach spray? A ro- will a roach spray work? And I was like, well, it's not going to help them. So right. most likely <laughs> it's not going to be great for the spider. So I was like, let's try it. So I went down to the basement and I sprayed them. And then uh, I came back up and I was like, well, they are either dead or they're very convincingly playing dead. 
Uh, and I was like, I'm going to go back down in a few minutes. And if they're dead, I will take care of that, the bodies for you. And so then I had like, I did that. I waited a few minutes and like tidied up somewhere. And then I went downstairs and I came back up and I thought I like heard someone in the kitchen and I thought it was her. And I walked in saying, I have disposed of the corpses in your basement, but it was the dad. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, hmm? <laughs> no idea what I was talking about. But yeah, that, uh, anyway, speaking of spiders, just want to share that little story. Yeah, good story. Um, Thanks. I, I don't have, you know, thankfully, I haven't really had many spiders in this apartment. I've had a couple... I had one spider in my last apartment, and you convinced me not to kill it, and then it had babies. Oh my God, we're going over this again. Look. I'm never going to forget. It took me like a month to kill all of those children. I mean, look, you didn't have to listen to me. So you really, me. this is on you. No, I'm, I'm literally never going to take responsibility for something I could just blame on you. <laughs> I mean... I thought you knew Same. this by now. I, yeah, I don't have any spiders. I eventually want to do an episode on spiders because a lot of people are afraid of spiders. <laughs> I'm not afraid of spiders for the same reason I'm not afraid of children. I'm just so much bigger than them. <laughs> oh, well, here's the thing, though. Children don't have venom, and some spiders do, and sometimes that can kill you regardless right. of how or right irregardless apparently that's no word. i don't i'm i'm refusing to acknowledge it you know what i refuse to believe i still hate funner i think it should be more fun not funner well this is funner than that ew well, you know, language is fake anyway, so really we can all say whatever we want. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> um, do you wonder if animals argue over semantics behind language? Uh, no, I don't, because they don't. They How do don't. you know? You don't know. They, they don't have complicated enough language. There, there aren't. You can't argue over semantics if there are no semantics. But you don't know. This is a, a language podcast. Yeah, this is welcome to the language podcast. Look, speaking of things that are scary, like language semantics between animals, um, what are you afraid of today? I I've been feeling really good lately, <laughs> which makes me nervous. That's it. The <laughs> okay. <laughs> the end. Positive feelings. Oh, and I'm I'm um, visiting. I'm going back to the hometown next month. You can try to run away. <laughs> try to run away it. from this hick town. But yeah. you know it always will pull you back in. Yeah, so I'm not like super... I'm, I'm not like scared of Oklahoma, but I'm not like super in, enthused. And I am anxious about it. <laughs> you may have scrubbed up. <laughs> and living in the city now, but you know, underneath all that, you're still hick trash. Oh, I'm one of us. I'm definitely hick trash. I was talking to the the mom that I sit for yesterday, and 
I was like, oh, do you have a pin? And she was like, a pen? And I was like, yeah, pin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, to be fair, you say words weird, and I, even I don't say those words weird. Like, what is E-G-G? Egg. Okay. Usually she says, like, egg. Look at this egg. I need a carton of eggs. We're saying the same thing. We're not. (laughs) Raccoon. Um, Nobody else will understand that. What are you afraid of? Oh. um, On a deeper level? Sure. um, Slipping into a depressive episode. On a shallow level? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm afraid my car is just going to break down out of nowhere. <laughs> is there anything that, like, spurs it? Like, do you have, like, a um, light on? I mean, it- sometimes it just kind of jerks. Makes... Mm-hmm. It does strange things. My car's been squeaking lately. I don't know what that's about. But I'm... I'm sure as hell not going to find out myself, and I'm definitely not going to pay someone to find out for me. So <laughs> Not until it's dire. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think I may get my car traded in. Apparently, I've paid over 50% on my auto loan, so there's that. Um, He's an adult. I know. It's disgusting. But people will make fun of us if we say things like adulting. Okay, I hate that phrase, to be honest. Being an adult comes with uh, lots of different problems. And so I try not to get mad at people when they say it. Also, this is a tangent, but you know Disney adults? Oh my god, I was just about to say adulting sounds like the type of thing a Disney adult would say. Okay, sometimes I think... It's not even their fault, but it's the fault of the Disney company, like, at the core because of one certain thing. Okay, I loved the movie Cruella, right? And I was mm-hmm. like, I wonder what kind of merch that they have going on. So I looked on the site, and I was like, it just looks kind of campy, like, kind of stupid, like, kind of like, very, like, middle school. And I was like... Well, that's kind of sad. And so I brought it up to my friend who is, like, really into Disney and whatever. And she was like, yeah, that's, that's like, one thing that I've never really liked is, like, a lot of their merch just looks pretty, like, campy and, like, goofy. Juvenile? Yeah. Like, it, like for kids? Because it's, like, a, like a kids' media company? Yeah. <laughs> but I... But it's... It can be enjoyed by everybody. I don't... I think sometimes people who really do enjoy disney get a lot of hate for no reason because there's just like bigger things in life to worry about instead of people like who just really like disney but no i think they should be persecuted i think we should have like you remember the purge i think we should have the purge but it's just everyone can legally kill disney adults (laughs) i'm just kidding i really don't care that much no, what you care. It's going to come out five years from now. And you're going to be in some n- news article about just snapping one day on a Disney adult. Um, actually, I like Disney. 
I wouldn't say I'm like a Disney adult, but I like I like Disney. See, and I do too. And I feel like people pretend that they don't like Disney, but they just do. Yeah. Or they're like they're like ashamed to admit it. I do think there are more important things to worry about. As well. But like the ethics of like patronizing a company like Disney are like not the best, but you know, the ethics of consuming anything under capitalism are not the best. So do whatever makes you happy. Try not to think about the inadvertent harm you will cause. (laughs) Sometimes it is scary to think about how large of a company Disney is because they're a parent company for a lot of different companies. And it's like almost disgusting that the revenue and power that they hold. Oh, it's pretty gross. Yeah, for sure. And the carbon emissions with all their fireworks every day. That's also horrifying. Whenever you die, I'm going to um, get you cremated, and then I'm going to put your ashes into a bottle rocket that's going to be shot over Cinderella's castle. <laughs> that's not what I want, but that is sort of epic. Because, as I was going to say, as awful as fireworks are from the environment, human do like big color go boom. We do. They do. Even... <laughs> Look, it was the 4th of July yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. And look, they were going to set the fireworks off regardless, so obviously I went. And every time, they are just breathtaking. Bitter, like, it's bittersweet, but they're just... Sometimes, especially the ones that like hang in the air just for like a little bit longer and they look like little chandeliers. It's just. Yeah, those are my favorite ones. Those are my favorite too. And I say it every year. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be bittersweet too when I watch, you know, the bottle rocket containing your ashes explode. Explode over Cinderella's castle. And maybe she yeah. can even come out and be like, say something Cinderella y. Like. I want her just to come out and say that. (laughs) She just (laughs) she just walks out, looks up, and says, "Uh, "Walks in." And then, as your ashes are like falling down from the sky. I'm going to open my mouth and eat a little piece of you. Oh. I mean, yeah. that's cute. I thought so. You know what else is cute? What? Facts and figures. <laughs> um Oh yes, what are we talking about? Hauntings. That yeah. is what we were talking about Sorry, today. Sorry, today we're we're exploring all kinds of topics, but the main topic is hauntings. And there is quite a persistent fear throughout all of history um, of ghosts, and it's sometimes called phasmophobia. It derives from the Greek word phasma, meaning apparition, and phobos, meaning fear. While not everyone who believes in ghosts fears them, the belief in ghosts is more common than one might think. These next stats are all according to a 2019 YouGov poll, which surveyed 1,293 U.S. adults. And that's right. Some of them were probably Disney adults. (laughs) Probably so. So 20% of Americans surveyed say ghosts definitely exist. 
and 25% say they probably exist, which is where Bailey and I fall. Now, this one I found weirdly surprising. Um, Republicans are more likely than Democrats to believe in ghosts. 46% of Republicans versus 41% of Democrats. Why did you find that surprising? Just because I feel like... I don't know. Republicans are more likely to be Christian, and so they don't really believe in ghosts. I do think there are, like, quite a few Christians that also believe in ghosts, or, like, spirit. Yeah. Angels and demons. Yeah, and I'd say those things are, like, pretty close. Also, like... Um... Nope. That's it. That's all I had. Mm, okay. Um... About 4 in 10, which is 43%, U.S. adults say that they think ghosts can come back and haunt people or places. Women, 51%, are more likely than men, 35%, to hold this belief. More than one-third of Americans, which is 36%, say that they have personally felt the presence of a spirit or ghost. Wait, have you ever felt the presence of a spirit or ghost? I think so. Well, yes, I have. And we'll get into that in a second. Once again, women, 41%, are more likely than 31% of men to say that this has happened to them. Just over 1 in 10 um, Americans say that they have communicated directly with a ghost or spirit of someone who has died, which is 13% of those people. Um, Well, do, do you have any stories little anecdotes about the presence or a spirit well like we've talked about like my like paranormal experiences before but with like uh the idea of like being like haunted by someone that you knew it hasn't happened to me but i like grew up next to this couple who were like high school sweethearts and together for like 60 something years i mean And um, when the man passed away, the woman said that uh, she was, like, laying in her bed one night, uh, that, like, one night, not long after he passed, and the TV, like, just turned on all of a sudden, and it was, like, static, but then she heard his voice, and he was, like, letting her know that he was okay, and that he met St. Nicholas, like, 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 Santa? Yeah, but, like, he was a real guy. Yeah. So, like, that he met him and that he was really, like, a really funny guy. So that's, I guess, what was going on in heaven. Yeah, just St. Nick up there. (laughs) And apparently he's really funny. He's hilarious. (laughs) But I think one of the weirder ones that I remembered today is when I worked at the donut shop. And we had kind of each had, like, small experiences before this but there was a girl who started working there and she kept seeing a woman who would pass by the front counter and um, another girl there had said that she'd seen that same woman pass by the counter she saw it in the reflection and when she looked up there was nobody there Um, but I saw my co-worker um, and she walked around. We were we were closed, and I was in the front doing whatever I was doing. And she walked around the corner from the front into the kitchen. 
And so I like peeked my head around to say something to her and she was gone. And then I heard the front door bell jingle and I turned around and she walked in from the front of the store, which is on the opposite side of where I had previously seen her going. (laughs) And I said, how did you make it all the way over there? And she was like, what do you mean? I was out there taking a smoke break. And I was like, but I just saw you walk into the kitchen and it was just us two. And she was like, no, I was out front the whole time. And I was like, okay. And after then that ghost or apparent ghost appeared to two other coworkers in the same form of the coworker that I thought I saw. Maybe she was just, like, playing a trick on all of you. Maybe, but I don't know how she could teleport, like... Is there not, like, a back door that she could have gone out and then gone around to the front? Well, there is, but, like, it it happened in, like, a second span of time. When I peeked my head around, she was gone, and the door opened behind me. Ah. Hmm. So that was weird. That is weird. Maybe she was a ghost the whole time. (laughs) Maybe she was, but I did just see her at Pride, so. Gay ghost. (laughs) We love a gay ghost. (laughs) We love a gay ghost. Um, Okay, I'm first this week, and I've got quite the story for you. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so I am talking about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. I actually ended up doing, like, a ton of research into this. Um, to the point I had to like condense. (laughs) So I have quite a few sources, an All That's Interesting article by Katie Serena, several articles from Wikipedia, uh, transalleghenylunaticasylum.com, an episode of the show Portals to Hell, season one, episode six, Mm. and uh, a news segment from WowKTV 2019. Uh, So let's get started. So the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum is the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America. That's cool. Keep that in mind. (laughs) I put that in there because it's actually relevant. It's not just a cool fact. Okay. And it was a government-run asylum located in Weston, West Virginia. Its construction was commissioned in the early 1850s, and it operated from 1864 to 1994. In 1913, it was renamed Weston State Hospital, so you may hear me refer to it as that, um, but it's now commonly referred to by its original name, which is the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, so I may use both names. The asylum was conceptualized by Thomas Story Kirkbride, and he was a doctor and advocate who devoted his life's work to reforming the way that mental illness was treated. He would go on to found the Association of Medical Superintendents of American Institutions for the Insane, uh, which was a precursor to the American Psychiatric Association, the organization that we still have today. Uh, So Thomas Story Kirkbride was inspired by uh, Dorothea Dix, who was a reformer who advocated for the end of the stigma against mental illness and fought to change public perception that mental illnesses were embarrassing or untreatable and necessitated inhumane measures like isolation and restraint as forms of treatment. It's kind of cool that all of this was going on in the 1800s. Right, at a time where mental (laughs) illness was really treated extremely poorly yeah and there it's like i didn't really know that there were these like reformers all the way 
back then. Um, so the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was one of many hospitals throughout the U.S. and worldwide, actually, which were designed according to what's called the Kirkbride Plan. Um, so the hospitals built, obviously this was a plan that was like made by Thomas Story Kirkbride, and the hospitals built according to the Kirkbride plan would adopt various architectural styles, but they all featured this like bat wing style floor plan. Um, So there would be like a main building in the center and the numerous wings that sprawled outward from the center, like a bat. Um, His design emphasized sunlight, fresh air, and the privacy and comfort of the patients. Which, again, like... Wow. Yeah, pretty dope. Yeah, that's, like, surprising to me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So each wing, um, according to Kirkbride's original guidelines, would house a separate ward, which would contain its own comfortably furnished parlor, bathroom, clothes room, and infirmary, as well as a speaking tube and a dumbwaiter to allow open communication and movement of materials between floors. Patient rooms were to be comfortable, well-furnished, and spacious, though only big enough for one person as each patient was to have their own private room. Kirkbride also suggested that the institutions built according to his design feature farms and gardens and that patients could tend the land and the animals as mental and physical therapy. So the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum specifically was a sprawling estate which was designed by architect Richard Snowden Andrews, and it featured all the staples of the Kirkbride plan and included 250 private patient rooms, high ceilings, comfortable furnishings, and wide open windows. Andrews also designed the asylum to be self-sustaining, so it included a working farm, dairy, waterworks, gas well, and cemetery in the design. Uh, The asylum was intended to be a humane environment which would promote healing through comfort and care. which was a new technique for training mental illness at the time. Um, And for a while, it seemed as though, like, it operated exactly as planned. Um, It was kind of like this, like, beacon of hope. Uh, But the year 1881 brought a dramatic increase in both mental illness diagnoses and mental illness stigma. And so this led to a huge influx of patients at the asylum. And the building, which was designed to house 250 patients, was suddenly forced to house about 500 patients over their capacity. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And it only got worse from there. So mental illness overdiagnosis and stigma continued to grow. And by the 1950s, the asylum was housing between 2,400 and 2,600 patients, depending on the source. So remember... It was meant to house 250. It is now housing... Yeah, now that's like... <laughs> like 10 times its capacity. I don't even know. Like, yeah, like 10 times that, yeah. Um, so the the once beautiful building uh, fell to like absolute ruin. So at its peak of overcrowding in the early 50s, the asylum became home to the West Virginia Lobotomy Project... So it just keeps getting better. And this was an effort by the state of West Virginia and our good friend, Walter Freeman. Yeah. From our doctor's episode. Doctors, episode 19. To use lobotomy to reduce the number of patients in asylums because there was such severe overcrowding. So the thought was like, we'll bring in Walter Freeman and he'll cure a bunch of patients. And so then it won't be so crowded. <laughs> Ugh. 
God. And if, like, again, if you've listened to our doctor's episode, you know how that went. Um, so he, at, at uh, Trans-Allegheny, he performed hundreds of lobotomies, um, which like were often photographed or like attended to by just like reporters and like people. The conditions were often unsanitary and they were reckless, inhumane, and at worst fatal in execution. He was a piece of shit. <laughs> Yes, his hallmark traits. <laughs> yes. Um, lack of hygiene, reckless, inhumane, fatal. That sums up Walter Freeman. Um, so additionally, because it was so crowded, the asylum couldn't produce enough food for the patients through its farm and dairy. It was at one time a completely adequate self-sustain- self-sustaining place, um, but the dairy and the farm were just overrun and so many of the patients were suffering from malnutrition um which only exacerbated whatever like mental illness they were experiencing obviously like if you're suffering from depression or any mental illness you're not gonna do better by like not eating um (laughs) some patients were forced to sleep on the floor or in cases of patients who were deemed beyond control by overworked and undertrained staff, they were forced to sleep in cages. Oh my gosh. I know. And this is the 50s. And like this type of stuff lasted like for quite a while, like beyond the 50s. The rooms lacked heat. So they were like freezing cold on this, like in the stone building and stone floor. And the rooms were filthy. There was wallpaper peeling off the walls. And uh, the once, like, bright windows were just covered in grime. And patients, because, like, they were overcrowded and understaffed, the patients couldn't be adequately supervised. And sometimes violent outbursts would erupt. Uh, So by the 1980s, the hospital had reduced its population due to changes in the treatment of mental illness. And in 1986, plans were announced for the construction of a new mental hospital since basically Trans-Allegheny or Western State at this time, it was like trash. Like like it was was in ruins. Um, So they announced plans for a new mental hospital in 1986 and uh, Western State was supposed to be uh, converted to a prison. Because, you know, it's clearly adequate for that with the, the fact that it's, like, right. filthy and crumbling. God, this country is so horrible sometimes. Um, however, though the new hospital was constructed and began operations, the conversion of Western State never took place. And instead, it was just shut down. So Trans-Allegheny slash Western State never became a prison, and it just shut down. Good. Uh, in 1994. Yeah. So by the time the asylum... This is interesting. By the time the asylum was closed in 1994, only one part of it had been expanded to accommodate the needs of a hospital, which was operating at like 10 times the capacity at its peak. This is crazy. Can you guess what part? Like, can I guess what part was expanded? Can you guess what one part they expanded? Um, the farm. The graveyard. No. I am so, like... It's crazy to me to think that this building wasn't in existence for, like, how many years? Like, from the 1880s? From 18... Over 100. From yeah. 1850... Oh, sorry. 18, 1864, 1864 to, eight, to 1994. 
and like in that time years. just left to become de- desolate yeah the building and the people in it were just left to like rot yeah and like there was only it was never expanded upon after all this time even into like the 80s which I feel like would have been yeah. a time to get more like funding and understanding of mental illness right but I mean we hmm. know even today like there's still really persistent stigma around mental illness it seems like we had almost like a like a renaissance of thinking about it in like the 18 the late 1800s early 1900s and then by 1950 it was like nope everyone is mentally ill and they all deserve to be treated like shit <laughs> right. and then we've been fighting like against that forever um so today the the main building of the asylum which is now known as the Kirkbride holds several rooms that serve as the museum so it's been converted to a museum and uh in the museum there are paintings poems and drawings that were made by patients that participated in art therapy programs there Uh, there's also a room dedicated to the different medical treatments and restraints that were used in the past like the ice pick lobotomy um and like the physical restraints that they would use on patients which again like totally goes against what this place was conceptualized to be it's like all the good intentions best laid plans of mice and men are ruined by capitalism uh uh, so the oh yeah so there's different medical instruments and um there are artifacts like a straitjacket and a hydrotherapy tub God. Which, like, yeah. Hydrotherapy, they would, like, put people in a tub and then, like, cover it and make the temperature really warm or really cool. Uh, not a, like, super nice therapy. No. Um, the tour guides at the museum dress in clothes that resemble a 19th century nurse. So they wear blue dress, white apron, and a white cap and white shoes. Uh, so they, there's a few different tours that they do at the museum today. Uh, the shorter historical tour allows visitors to see the first floor of the Kirkbride, while there's a longer historical tour that allows visitors to see all four floors, apartments of the staff, the morgue, and the operating room. And then aside from the historical tours, there are also two paranormal tours. Uh, both start as the sunsets. And the shorter tour lasts around two or three hours, and the longer tour is an, like, overnight stay, and you have the option of, like, a private tour. I mean... Yeah. I want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I bet you want to do it. Um, When we talk about the ghosts, we'll see if you still want to do it. I I had heard, or I had, in my research, I came across that the tours are being used to, like, fund the restoration of the building, and, like, the... Like, obviously, like, I'm sure it makes money, um, but part of the reason why, like, this museum exists is, like, beyond morbid curiosity, it's, like, to serve as a reminder of, like, the way that we have treated mentally ill people in the past, um, and how, just how, like, cruel and inhumane we can be to each other. So, all right, now let's talk about the ghosts. Okay. Okay, so there are, like, so according to Rebecca Jordan, who 
was the operations manager of the Trans-Allegheny Asylum, the museum, the modern Trans-Allegheny. In a 2019 interview with WOWKTV, uh, there are still seven to eight patients whose spirits remain in the asylum. So one is Jacob, who was featured in a 2008 episode of Ghost Hunters. (laughs) So in that episode, the spirit allegedly communicated with the Ghost Hunters team that he was looking for his beer. (laughs) He was, like, irritated and looking for his beer. And um, so then, actually, like, a few years after the Ghost Hunters team came and filmed that episode, uh, Rebecca was going through old hospital admission paperwork and found that in 1892, there was a patient named Jacob who was admitted for alcoholism, and he suffered from delusions that people were hiding his beer. I mean, come on, get into it. <laughs> yeah. There are also apparently the spirit, <laughs> the spirits of two teenage boys are rumored to haunt one of the bathrooms at Trans-Allegheny. Uh, apparently they stayed at the hospital in the 1940s, and they enjoy gifts of gum, mints, or cigarettes from visitors. <laughs> So, one of, like, the most famous spirits is Lily. So, apparently there's the spirit of a little girl named Lily who reportedly moves through the halls of the asylum. So, there is, like, a lot of lore surrounding Lily. And, like, through multiple sources, I found, like, multiple stories of her origin um, and, like, there are, like, also multiple, like, psychics and paranormal investigators that claim to have spoken with Lily. Um, but, like, despite the variance in stories about her origin, the common theme is that she was either abandoned as a baby or born in the hospital. And that she died there at a young age. Uh, so a little kid. I know. She will sometimes interact with a display of toys that are set up in her room in dedication to her memory, uh, including, this is creepy as, like, fuck, dude, a pink and white music box with a miniature ballerina turning point to a, uh, and it has, like, a tinkling lullaby that plays when the box opens, and sometimes it will start playing without anybody touching it. Ew. I, <laughs> I don't love like music that. boxes. I think they're so creepy. I had one when I was a kid. I actually had one of those ballerina music boxes. And now they're ruined for me by horror movies. <laughs> um, so many visitors claim to have interacted with Lily in one way or another. And some say that she likes to play games and that she's done things like roll a ball in the room back and forth with them. So... The last ghost I'm going to tell you about. A little bit of a trigger warning because I am going to go into the details of how he died. And it's pretty horrific. Like, made me queasy. So Dean Mathney was featured in Season 1, Episode 6 of the paranormal investigation show Portals to Hell, during which the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was investigated. Okay, he was a mentally disabled patient... Uh, who stayed in Trans-Allegheny in the 80s, and he was housed in the same room as two very violent patients who ended up murdering him. And this is like... Oh, no. Yeah, and this is... We know this happened. Like, this is recorded. This is not like a psychic saw it or whatever. Like, we know for sure this happened. Okay. Um, so, tr- like, just trigger warning. It's pretty brutal. They repeatedly hung him 
until he passed out. Then they would let him down until he regained consciousness and then do it again. And when they got bored of that, they um, put the bedpost from the bed on his head and then jumped on the bed until his skull was crushed. Oh my god, that did make me queasy. (laughs) Yeah, it's just horrific. It's like, uh, it's really... I, like, teared up when I when I watched the episode. Um, okay. If you were <laughs> skipping past that description, welcome. We're going to move on to talk about his spirit. So um, his spirit is said to be timid and childlike, kind of scared, uh, and capable of violent outbursts, which is reflective of who he was in real life. Um, like, he was a very, like, kind, like, childlike, but, like, he could get violent uh the psychic from the episode so in the episode of portals to hell they have do like a they bring in a psychic and have her do like a tour of it um and like they like blindfold her so she can't see anything so that she can just look with her like third eye um but and she goes through all the rooms and like talks to different spirits there um or like watches different spirits there anyway the psychic from the episode said that his spirit was mute uh and he may have been mute in real life we're not sure based on like the records that we have but it is definitely possible given what we know about him um he is known to crawl around on the floor and hide behind things and she said like she saw him doing that and guests have like seen like a shape like crawling around on the floor um, and he reportedly likes childlike things like toys and candy. The psychic also mentioned that the murderers came by after his death. Because, um, like, so they... I don't know exactly what happened. Like, I'm assuming they were moved from that room. <laughs> um, but they they lived for quite a while after. One of them just, like, had recently passed away when the episode was filmed. And I guess when the murderers, like, revisited the room, or whatever murder came by, revisited the room, um, it triggered basically, like, a, what we know is, like, a residual haunting, like, a replay of Dean's murder. And the psychic says that part of Dean is repeatedly reliving that trauma, while the other part is this, like, intelligent haunting, that spirit that's known to, like, interact with visitors there. So he's kind of in two places at once so sad i know um so after the like psychic sweep in the portals to hell episode hosts and paranormal investigators jack and katrina use something called a rem pod to communicate with dean so a rem pod is a device um which emits an electromagnetic field and when something breaks the field like physically breaks it um like you put your hand in front of it uh, a green light on the device lights up and then a beep sounds. So something has to like actually like break the field. Like, you know, when you wave your hand in front of a laser and it's like that. Okay. Right. So they asked Dean to use the device to, an- like, to answer question- yes and no questions. And they said, you know, break the field and make the light turn green for yes. And they like showed him like how and then don't respond at all when the answer is no. All right, so now I'm going to tell you about the interview that they did with them. 
Okay. <laughs> so Dean appeared to be super responsive, and he answered yes to the following questions. Uh, do you know the people who killed you? Do you get to move throughout this whole building? And then one of the investigators asked him, it's a fun toy, isn't it? In reference to the rim pod. And it was like, beep, 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 beep. Um, <laughs> which was cute. And then they asked, do you like us being here, having someone to talk and play with? And it beeped and was like, yes. And then oh. uh, they asked, is that you affecting our REM pod? And then it lit up again. And it was like, it was like eerie to watch. I know, I know like those shows are probably fake or whatever, but yeah (laughs) but like but that is sweet to think of like if he was really answering yeah um and then when katrina one of the hosts brought out a piece of art that was made by one of the murders because remember the museum has a lot of art that was made in art therapy oh and they had an art piece from yes and it was creepy as fuck because it's a mask just a mask like Like, it was like painted on but it was like I guess like for this art project they had them like paint on a mask like one of those like like um you know like in art class when you're a kid and you do like a paper mache mask of like your face like it looks yeah. like that and it was like painted on oh so it was like a, a like a three D yeah. thing that was painted yeah on. like a full oh. like face um ew what did that was it just like random colors or was I it? don't really remember exactly what it looks like if i can find it like a picture get like a still from the episode i'll put it on social media um i think it had like black around one of the eyes it was creepy um so she brought out which i thought this was mean she brought out this mask that was made by one of the murderers and like put it in front of the rem pod and was like do you know who made this and then like all the communication ceased. So, like, he had been super responsive, like, answering their questions, and then it all just, like, stopped. And nothing happened. And then she was, like... Probably scared. Right? So then she was, like, okay, I think this is scaring you, so I'm going to put this away. And then she she did. She went and put it away, and then she said, okay, we put that away, so he can't hurt you, okay? And the REM pod lit up green again. That's pretty uncanny, mm. dude. Like, if it's real. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, like, you know, they do, they do like, talking heads throughout the episode. And they, like, Jack, the other host, is, like, giving a little interview. And he says that, um, and, like, he, they're still in the room, but he's, like, talking to camera now. And he was saying, you know, a part of me thinks that ghosts stick around because they need to be heard and acknowledged, and once they receive that acknowledgement, they can move on. And right after he said that, the REM pod lit up green again. Like Dean was saying, uh, yes. Uh, I'm not I know. Cry. Right? I like. I teared up. <laughs> I teared up, and they were like, "Well, like uh, before they left, they were like, you know, Dean, we're really sorry that that happened to you. Like you didn't like." just giving him some acknowledgement did they tell him that like it was okay to move on or like whatever they were just like you know we see you like or we we like hear you thank you for talking with us and like we're so sorry for what happened to you they were just giving him that acknowledgement that they thought he might be so sad especially after how brutally murdered he was god i know it's just horrific and then so after that interview with 
Dean Jack was being interviewed again and he said that in all his time as a paranormal investigator he'd literally like never seen any interaction with the REM pod like that like that lasted that long that was so specific that was like he and he said to me that's crazier than like a Ouija board or anything like that mm. he's like so, we've he, never been able to pull off I mean <laughs> we've never been able to communicate with a spirit <laughs> I didn't. I honestly didn't think ghosts were real till today. <laughs> okay, so those are the ghosts I wanted to tell you about. There are some other ghosts, um, but those are the ones that like kept coming up as I was researching. That's the main crew. Um, that's the main crew. One reason why the spirits may linger at Trans Allegheny is the stone tape theory, which we've talked about in our time travel episode. So, <gasps> oh, this yes, um, and the host brought up the, and I was like, why does this sound so familiar? And then I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. And the host brought it up in the Portals to Hell episode. And so this theory, if you missed the episode on time travel, you don't remember. It posits that basically stone can absorb and preserve the memory of traumatic events, and then like play them back. And if you remember our fun fact at the beginning about Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, it is the largest It's a whole building made out of stone. Stone masonry building in North America, yes. It also has a high, the stone that was used has a high quartz content. And a lot of like spiritualists believe that quartz um, can like hold, absorb energy. So... That's one reason may the spirit why the spirits may linger there. Um, and apparent so like according to the stone tape theory, um, this is like most common in places that have like really strong negative energy and have a lot of traumatic events or or like one very traumatic event that occurs. And um, yeah, Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum is the largest hand cut stone masonry building in North America, and it sure as fuck has plenty of trauma for that stone to remember. Wow. That is the story of the haunting of Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. I honestly thought it was going to have something to do with transgender people, and then it didn't. No, that was not the name. Also, it was commissioned in the 1850s. I'm well, not sure that they would like be naming a place. No. I'm not saying that trans people didn't exist in the 1850s. No, and I'm, I'm sure, just saying I don't like, think a government building would be named trans anything. I'm in the sure 1850s. they were uh, unfortunately patients towards. Oh yeah, you know, the especially end. like in the 50s, like in in the 50s through like the 70s, like any part of like the LGBT community would have been considered mentally ill. I think like. Uh, homosexuality was only removed from the DSM in like the 70s yeah, as a mental sure. illness. Yeah. So we know a lot of our our brothers and sisters suffered in places like this. Uh. A lot of people suffered in places like this. And it's just like to me this is like just such a like just like the epitome of a tragedy. It because is. it was intended to be something so positive and like I'm sure obviously like we still have a long way to go with knowing about mental illnesses and destigmatizing them and knowing about how to best treat them but 
this was meant to be a giant step in the right direction. And instead it just became this place of like torment. Right. And for like a minute it was. And then it just yeah. all fell to ruin. For, for about 20, 20 years, no, less than 20 years of its 130 year Operation. Right, which it would be good. It was operating like it was supposed to. Right, like it would be good if it were like just 20 years but then like the building shut down because it ran out of funding. Like, no, like the bad definitely yeah. outweighs the good. Oh my gosh. What a story. That's a good one. It's supposed to be one of the most haunted places in America. We have to go. <laughs> and uh, I feel like I'll just get so sad. <laughs> you'll be fine. You can, you cry every day, so... What's going to be different? That's true. Um, I'm really good at it. You really are. I'm. I can't just. I can't. I can't whip out the tears like you can. Speaking of one of the most haunted places in America, um, I'm sure you've heard of it, but I look. I've always had a great fascination towards things of the occult and the dark and the creepy. So when we settled on hauntings. I wasn't quite sure what to venture out into because sometimes it's like just a five minute account of somebody being like, I saw a shadow at my doorway. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then, it ha- you know, you have all kinds of just things that have been like etched into history that we still talk about today um, that deal with hauntings. Like I said, you've heard of this before, but it hit me. I wanted to do the Winchester Mystery House. Yes. I have been kind of fascinated with it for I don't know the past four years, um, because a coworker told me about it. She was from California at the donut shop, um, and she was like, "Yeah, like," and you know, and I went and visited the Winchester house, and I was like like from supernatural and she's like what she was pretty old she had never watched supernatural um and she was like no no i don't know what that is but um it's about like sarah winchester and i was like okay and so she told me all about it and i was obsessed so now if you don't know any of like the backstory here you go um so sarah lockwood party not too much is known about her past, but we do have a good handful of information. Um, We know that she was born into a fairly well-off family in New Haven, Connecticut. Her father made his money by supplying ambulances to the Union Army in the Civil War. So in conjunction with Bailey's story, this also takes place around the late 1800s. Um... That's when ghosts were made, baby. That's when ghosts were made, I swear. Although, you know what? I did look up. Um, I don't have the source because I didn't use it in my story. But there, one of the earliest mentions of ghosts is actually in like Egyptian hieroglyphics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So, yes. They were well off. And she was also like a pretty talented individual. Like some might even say a child prodigy because by the age of 12, she was fluent in French, Latin, Spanish, Italian, and English. Okay. Well, fuck her, dude. Right. Like I was like, man, 
Okay. So, little like trip to. I'm trying not to say sidebar and I'm failing. Okay. Sidebar. <laughs> when I was a kid, when I was like like 12 is when I found out about child prodigies. And I realized that I wasn't one. And I was literally like inconsolable. <laughs> I was so upset that I was not a child prodigy. Aww. And I've never recovered from that. <laughs> well, you know... A lot of child prodigies experience terrible burnout into their later adult years because they just were able to coast by on all of their talents and people praise them just for that and they didn't get to develop like normally. So maybe be thankful that you got to have a chance to develop your skills over time Mm -hmm. and not have this incredible burnout later in your life. Right. Because I definitely developed normally. You did. We all know that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay Continue. we talk about it in couples therapy all the time <laughs> so uh, you said you wouldn't bring that up here <laughs> i'm gonna bring this up in therapy um so along with her not only being like a linguist she was also a talented musician on a few instruments and it was said that she was quite beautiful and this is how she became known as the Belle of new haven Okay, this is why she got haunted, because you you don't get all of that and then get to be happy. Right. You can't have it all, okay? <laughs> you you can be beautiful. You can be talented. But you can you be also, smart. Right. But <laughs> then you also have to suffer <laughs> if you're all of them together. <laughs> because some of us don't suffer, and we have just a few talents. She has an, a massive talent, so she has to suffer. It's balance, yes. equilibrium. Mm-hmm. So... She actually went on to attend uh, one of, like, the first women's colleges. Um, And this is where she met William... I don't know if it's Wright or Ritt. It's W-R-I-T. William Ritt Winchester. He was the heir to the Winchester Rifle Company. And they were married on September 30th, 1862. They had one child, Annie... But in 1886, Annie only lived to be 40 days old. The word I think that they used is called like marasmus or something close to that. It basically just means like she was nutrient deficient, so she couldn't survive. Things don't really get too interesting until four or five years after this. In 1880... Wait, what? So we're rectifying this timeline a little bit. They were married... On September 30th, 1862. And then their child, Annie, was born and died in 1866. Okay. So, it's not four or five years after that. It's 14 or 15 years after that. Um, There we go. So, this is when things start to get interesting. So, in 1880, William's father, Oliver, died. And him being the head of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, and his son William being his only child, William inherited the entire company and its fortunes. However, in 1881, literally a year later, William died at 43 years old of tuberculosis, and this left Sarah to inherit not only 50% of the Winchester Arms stock, but she inherited $20 million dollars. 
In that time money or in our time in money? In that time money. In our time money, she re- she would have received about $527,833,000. I'm going to throw up. And not only that, um, she would gain about $1,000 a day in royalties. So this made her literally one of the wealthiest women in the world. I see. She was fucked because you did not get to be pretty, smart, talented, educated, and rich, right. and then not not like have some and like habit. not even rich. Like she like, is disgustingly rich. Like she's she could do anything. Like you can't spend all that money. No, or at least not all of it. But you can spend a good portion of it. Now. <laughs> It's said that, like, with Winchester rifles, um, like, 8 million rifles were sold in total, which is a lot, (laughs) Um, which is why this company is so rich. And these guns were used in major battles and major wars all over America. So... The legend after this splits up in a whole bunch of ways from here, but I'm going to stick with one of the most prevalent and my favorite. In all stories, understandably, Sarah was very grief-stricken because she had not only lost her child, but her husband as well. So she was, in a sense, alone, even though she had other extended family and friends. From here on, she... It was very, like, Victorian of her to dress in all black morning clothes and wear a black veil for like the rest of her life like this is what victorian people did they were a very macabre group of people um but also like her husband and child died so it's understandable yeah i can't even get mad at her so in this version of the legend Sarah decided to visit a fortune teller who told her that it would be best to move to the West. And these were apparently words given to the fortune teller by channeling her departed husband, William. So she did. She moved all the way from Connecticut to California, where she bought a huge plot of farmland. Now, this source says 161 acres, but that also parallels something else later in the story, so I'm not sure if that's accurate, but we do know it's huge. So, at first, she lived in this eight-room, two-story farmhouse, which part of it is still preserved there. Um, She later commissioned the Winchester Mansion to be built. Now, this mansion the center of it all. Tell us about the mansion. So, the mansion. Um, (laughs) Yes, she later commissioned the Winchester Mansion to be built, and as of today, we know that this mansion contains 2,000 doors, 10,000 windows, 47 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 17 chimneys, 6 kitchens, 3 elevators, and 13 bathrooms, as well as 13... Nope. Sorry, not 13 rooms. Um, it has, has 10,000 windows and 13 rooms. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of rooms. It's, it's a greenhouse. Hi, future Charles here in editing. It was actually 161 rooms. 
a behemoth of architectural craftsmanship and mystery. And it's even said that there is a higher, like all those stats were even higher at some point, but this is what we just have of today. So you may wonder, why a large mansion? right? You might already know. She was presumably a family of one. Was she just wanting to spend some of her great fortune? Not so much. No one can be too sure, but the legend that we're going with goes like this. After the visit with the psychic before, she went back to a Boston psychic named Adam Coons. She was hoping to get in touch with her dearly departed, but instead, Adam revealed to her that she was in fact cursed. And she was being haunted by the spirits of those who were murdered by the Winchester rifles. And they Mm. were the ones who had taken away both William and her daughter, Annie. So she's surprised at this fact, right? And she feels (laughs) terrible, as somebody might. Um, He also revealed to her that in order to keep these spirits either at bay or at peace or to get them to be confused in following her, that she had to continually build on this mansion forever. Because he said, if the hammers cease, that Sarah would die. So... This gives the explanation for why the mansion is not only so great in size, but why it has so many features. And Sarah, I mean, she feared for her life. She felt incredibly sorry for all these spirits who were murdered by the Winchester rifles. And this is something that she inherited now. And she felt like it was her responsibility to take care of this. So Okay. But my question to the ghosts, why are you haunting her and not like... Her husband. Well, her husband's dead. Right, but they killed him, according to the psychic. Like, you you took everything away from her, and then you're torturing her for the rest of her life. Why not torture, like, the son of the the gun that killed you? Yeah. I mean, most oftentimes with our theories of ghosts, as far as we know, is ghosts don't really have all the brain power and all the understanding of what's happened to them so they just kind of go with their largest emotions which is often anger and sadness so if they know that they were killed by these rifles they're going to go for the person who's in charge of these rifles because in their mind they might think it's all her fault she hasn't shut down this company like we're all being murdered. Like I don't know. Look, uh, like they're going. At, they're going nipping it at the bud, right? Not just the son of a gun who <laughs> killed him, but the actual son of the gun and that's his nice. wife. <laughs> yeah, I would keep. I'm just saying, like, ghost. Big fan. Okay. Big fan of your work. I'm just saying, maybe next time you like, if you're gonna lifelong torture someone. It's like, it's like, you know, the guy, the guy who, who made his fortune on your death. Right. And she was like independently wealthy. And then she only inherited the money when they, when like his, when he died. Right. But she also inherited the stock of the company. And as we kind of know, 
like with the popular theory of ghost, a spirit is attached to oftentimes the thing that killed it. So Yeah. It's attached to the gun, Winchester, Sarah. Poor girl. I'm just tired of women being blamed for irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. And I bet Sarah was I too. Should, she should have she could have she could have sold her stocks. Or or k- shut down the company. She she would have been fine. Well, and it was said too that like she was kind of so she was really big into like the Freemason society and all that, and they typically didn't allow female patrons, but they made an exception for her because she was like a strong woman and didn't really like back down or let people take control of her. So when she became the owner of a large company and she's a woman in the late 1800s, they're like, ew, you can't be a woman and lead a company. And it's disgusting. So she... Well, obviously our brains are too small. Well, yes. And you have those small ankles. So she... Mm, Slutty, small ankles. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) She, you know, in a way, probably kind of wanted to prove him wrong. And maybe, I don't know, figure out how to turn it around for herself, but, or for the spirits. So, had she, has she tried donating to a cause the ghosts care about? (laughs) You know, I haven't talked to her in a long time, but when I get back, call her up. Yeah, when I get back in touch, I will let not only you know, but our listeners as well. So, Sarah. Right. She's been told that she needs to build on this house forever so she doesn't die. So what does she do? She hires people. She hires builders, architects, gardeners, all kinds of uh, architectural-like workers. And she's like, look, if you come and work for me, I'm like hella rich, right? So I will pay you like triple what anybody else would offer you. But I, I just need you to build here and live here and I will make sure like and this is the cool thing Sarah if you worked for Sarah Winchester you not only you were taken care of but your family was taken care of and any medical bills that needed to be paid she would pay anything that an employee needed like she would take care of and they never really wanted for anything else which was Hmm. really really cool of her because she didn't have to be that way, right? She could just pay them, like, really, really low wages and just be like, nope, just need you to build and you, sh- you should feel lucky that you're, like, working on my house. So... This is a Jeff Bezos call-out. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, okay? If Sarah Winchester can not only take care of the afterlife, but the current life, you can at least try. For 24 hours a day, in differing shifts, the house was continually built upon. 24 hours a day. So this is why there are staircases that lead to just nowhere, doors that open to just a wall, one door on the second story that just opens up to the outside. Very hazardous. (laughs) Um, Zigzag, like, stair ramps, stained glass windows with Shakespearean features, skylights built over another skylight, skylights built into the floor. And... There's just, I mean, rooms everywhere. Small rooms, big rooms, large doors, small doors. Like, it's 
it's a labyrinth, like in all the senses of the word. It's a maze. And like I said, some people think that it's because Sarah would be able to get through the rooms and the ghost would get lost because they're not all that smart, I guess. Like, no hate to ghosts. We love you. Like we said, big fan of your work. But... Well, I think anyone would get lost. Like, I think I would definitely it, get lost. It's really confusing. Uh, not yeah. only was this house a maze, but it had some of the first modern technology, like its own like tiny gas plant that helped feed gas into the lighting. So it would be like you'd have a switch that you could turn it on. It would cause a spark, and the gas being fed into the line would keep the light bulb burning. And there were also, like, these little tubes, these, like, copper tubes that would run through the walls, and you could speak to somebody. It was like an old PA system. You could talk to somebody through a tube. Mm -hmm. They could hear you all the way through the little copper tube in another room far away on the other side of the house. My asylum had those, too. (laughs) Really cool. And it's even said that she because we already know she had elevators, that she even had some of the first showers. And you know, we all love a shower. I do love a shower. There was one time, sidebar. Um, I... So trying to make sidebar happen. It's never going to happen. I once botched a uh, dog sitting job. And... (laughs) my takeaway from it because there were rights and wrongs on both sides let's just say this okay (laughs) i am not completely blameless however they were the the house owners were also to blame sometimes um but at least it was like three years four years ago get over it right but at least they had a newly renovated apartment because of a fire to the building. So they had this wonderful walk-in shower. And I know that I racked up that water bill because I spent <laughs> hours. I was there for seven days. I spent hours in that shower. It was my like singing stage. It was where I just sat and stared at a mirror, watched it fog up. I would walk around in it. I would just sit in there sometimes when it wasn't even on. I would take showers on it, obviously. Um, sometimes I would just take a shower because I was bored. I wouldn't even, like, soap up. I'd just stand there. It was kind of like a stand-up swimming pool. Yeah. Anyway, so... Love a shower. And... <laughs> love a shower. So, Sarah... She had a place. So they say. This is later disputed. But a place called the blue room or the witch's cap where Sarah would hold a seance. Sometimes it says every day um, at 2 a.m. always though. And this is where she would receive sometimes instruction from spirits on what to build and what they needed. And she would either draw it up herself or have somebody else draw it up and they would build it. Um, So something else weird is like the reoccurring theme of the prime numbers 7, 11, and 13. Now we all know like 7 and 13 are numbers in at least American culture that are 
a really big thing. 13 is a very unlucky number. 7 is a pretty lucky number. Um, a lot of the times we even have buildings here that they'll have a 13th floor, but they won't call it the 13th floor. Or sometimes they just yeah. have a 13th floor, but they just skip it. And, like, it's there, but nobody goes on it. It's not accessible. And they move on to 14. <laughs> Why? I don't know. People are really superstitious. Um, there was one time I got trapped on the 13th floor of a hotel. My building is 13 floors. And our 13th floor is the pet house and the rooftop lounge. Oh. Seems pretty lucky. Yeah, nothing's happened to me yet. <laughs> we'll see. Um, we'll see. So these numbers are represented, and like I said, recurring. Um, either in numbers of stairs on a stairway, numbers of windows in a room, numbers of ceiling tiles in the ceiling, things like that. So, unfortunately, on September 5th, 1922, Sarah passed away. She had a 12-page will, which was in 13 parts. She signed it 13 times. And she had her estate divided into charities and relatives and employees. And I think one of the eeriest statements is finding that after she was dead, there is the quote, I don't know where it comes from, but it was from this source. There were nails that were left half driven into the walls. So like, I don't know Mm. if it's because somebody stopped building like, they all just stopped building. If that's why she died, nobody knows. Maybe had they driven that whole nail in, she would have been okay. <laughs> but she was also, like, 83 years old. And this is the early 1900s. Yeah. Her life expectancy was it pretty It honestly seems to have, like, worked. Yeah. Now, there's no occurrences on what happened to Sarah other than the film adaptation with Helen Mirren. It's an, it's a good film. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's like the best film, but I liked it. And Helen Mirren always does a fantastic job. It's good because Helen Mirren is in it. Probably. That's the only reason why that movie is good. <laughs> but we have, there's like a couple occurrences on what happens at the Winchester house to either people who still work there, because now it is a museum where you can go on a tour for one hour, $20 a pop. You can be in the Winchester mansion, which I also want to do that. Um, But it's kind of just like the normal ghost things that you expect. Sometimes people feel like they're being touched. Sometimes they see shadows walk around a corner. Sometimes they think there's somebody in a window. Sometimes they hear strange noises, footsteps, doors closing. It's really nothing too out of the ordinary for the ghost realm. But some people even claim to have seen Sarah Winchester herself. Do you think she's like friends with the ghosts now and they just like hang out? Maybe. She might be like, hey, I tried my best, didn't I? And they're like, you know what? You sure did. You're a good egg. Where she died, and when she got to the other side, they were like, ha ha, pranked you, bitch. You were going to die at 84 the whole time. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> it had nothing to do with us. You were building for literally nothing. <laughs> we knew when you would die. Um, 
so yeah, it's quote unquote disputed that because of things that we found now um, and some record evidence that we have from her that there really is no validity to why she was building so much or the spirit theory. There's a quote from, oh, which I never said my sources. They are from the truth about Sarah Winchester.com, all that's interesting.com, the Winchester Mystery House, or a YouTube video from BuzzFeed, Return to the Horrifying Winchester Mansion. But from the truth about Sarah Winchester, it says, let's start with the allegations about Sarah and Adam Coons. There is no record or evidence that Mrs. Winchester ever met the man, nor is there any evidence to support the idea that she was a spiritualist or had any inclination to believe in communication with the deceased. Moreover, there is absolutely no factual basis to support the idea that Sarah ever used the so-called seance room for the purpose of conducting seances. Her closest companion and nurse of many years, Henrietta Severs, firmly denied that Mr. that Miss Winchester had any spiritualist leanings. Now, I don't know about Henrietta, but I feel (laughs) like it's, I don't know. I mean, I know rumors can be really big, but I feel like it's too big of a thing and it's too weird for her to like have such a strange house that's being continually built on for it just to be like, oh, she would just kind of kooky. Some people chalk it up to like, yeah, like what? It was because she was sad and depressed that she lost her husband and her child. And that was just a way for her to like keep busy. I have never grieved through architecture. And maybe you <laughs> haven't. Neither have I. Um, but maybe she did. And that was, you know, I mean, oftentimes to cope with grief, it does help you to s- kind of stay busy with a project. Um, but she wasn't doing it. Other people were doing well, it. It sounds like by the end of like, it, she wasn't even like planning anything. They'd be like, Sarah, there's literally not space for another skylight. And she'd be like, put it in the floor. I don't know. <laughs> right. But <laughs> she but she did draw plans herself, though. And I mean, she conducted those, supposedly conducted those seances and would receive information on what to build. And she would draw it up. Or explain it to somebody else. So she did have seemingly say in it. Now, some people just think, you know, like I said, because she was sad, she wanted to help other people, hire them just so that they could be, you know, they could also help build some of the mansion, but also just build whatever they wanted to because she just had empathy for people. But I'm like, I don't know. It's That seems like more weird. That seems weirder to me than her being haunted by spirits and having to build because she's cursed like it's just the fact that it's like so nonsensical like it was just building for the sake of building because if it was like i could see the whole like she wanted people to be like give them employment and like or wanted people around even but like you could have had them build something that made sense like, if she enjoyed drawing up plans... Right. Like you could have built multiple buildings. Yeah. Or, like, yeah, you could have built a hospital. Like, <laughs> you could have done... So, it just doesn't make sense to me that it would just be this one house, and then it would have, like, so much of just, like, of nonsensical stuff. Like, I know. Especially, like, like we mentioned, the staircase that leads 
to literally nowhere, the ceiling, the door on the second story that just opens and it's the (laughs) outside. Like that door is the wall. You could just open it and jump out. That's crazy. Or like the skylight built on top of a skylight. Maybe she was just a prankster. Maybe she was. She's like, oh, which door? They're like, okay, go find the room. Go. Your room is, um, you know, 52. And then they go to open it. It's a small door that just opens to a brick wall. And they're like, what? So then they open 51. That leads into another room that has two doors. They pick one door that opens to the outside. <laughs> one, And there's even like through that skylight, you can see just like this kind of weird like spiral staircase that just seemingly goes nowhere. Um, it's it's weird. And I encourage you guys to like definitely look up. You can take like a virtual tour of the house too, I think. Um it's really cool. And like for $20, if you live near the Winchester mansion or you're planning to visit, go. $20 is it like even if you don't believe in the ghost thing, just go to see some of the like weird architecture because that mansion is pretty. And if not just see it like for that reason. A lot of people also think she was just inspired by MC Escher and was just like I like stairs that go nowhere. Hey. <laughs> But what makes more sense? Hey, I'm going to believe that it was the ghost because that's what I want to believe. That's what I'm also going to believe because (laughs) Helen Mirren, that's my reason. (laughs) (laughs) Because Helen Mirren. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that is my story on the Winchester Mansion. Good job. I I am also very fascinated by the Winchester Mansion. I think it's... So it's just like, dude, even if she just did it because it was so weird, that's cool. <laughs> right. But also... We're still talking about it. <laughs> now that I think about it, I had this thought. This existed around the same time as your thing did. And maybe... But I feel like by 1922, it had already started to go into disrepair, that hospital of yours, the Trans-Allegheny yeah. thing. So... Probably. She could have donated. <laughs> she could have had them build it. But, you know, build a new one. <sighs> Sarah, you done messed up. I know you couldn't fix the whole world. But, you know, I don't know. It said a lot of her estate was divided into charities. Maybe it went that way and they yeah. just used it. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. Look, she did the best she could. She I think, might not have known about an asylum in West Virginia. <laughs> right. Because she had moved she- from Connecticut to California. <laughs> She was close, then was farther away. Um, I think she was a pretty good person. I I am very, like, firm in the fact that she was kind of, like, a leader for women at the time, in a way. Yeah. We have also had a lot of terrible leaders for women, though. Like, historically. Yes. A lot of racists. Um, a lot of racists. She seems, like, it's like she's complicated, She's complicated. One complicated, weird lady with a complicated, weird house. <laughs> I just love the fact Full of too, ghosts. that she dressed in all black all the time in morning clothes. I want to walk around in a black veil sometimes and just a nice Victorian I was gonna say, dress. You're going to take inspiration from that. <laughs> Ooh, I could you do You probably that hope that I die so that you can do that. <laughs> so I can be like, I'm in mourning. Like Charles, that was sixteen yeah, years ago. Just I'm so like, you can dress I'm dramatically. 
Well, honestly, if you die you in 16 years from now, I'd still be sad about it. It might be easier to cope with, but I'd be really sad. Oh, honestly, well. if you stopped, if you ever stopped being sad, I would haunt you. And then I'd have to build. I would make you sad. I would make your life so miserable that you'd be sad. I'd have to build on my house to keep you at bay, keep you at peace, or confuse you. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just keep. You would hear like just like shit. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> Charles. <laughs> Go to the left, Bailey. Fuck, Charles. <laughs> I can't find my way around your stupid fucking house. Um, yeah. Some good stories. <laughs> this week. What? I don't know. This, yeah. There's some good stories. There were some good stories. Yeah. You know, I pulled it together. Sure did. Um, you didn't even have to pull it together. Yeah. No, I was done a few days ago. <laughs> um, that's usually how it goes. I I always, I think, write my report before you do. Yeah. We, if you guys out there listening, if you have any ghost stories or just scary stories in general, we would love to hear them, add them to our compilations that we can one day do a listener episode. And you can email us at hmispod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and in, at Hold Me I'm Scared and on Instagram and Twitter at HMISpod. Because we would love, <laughs> listen, even if it's like a sentence long, I love a good ghost story. I do. Even though sometimes it does get a little scary. Some stories that I looked up, I was like, oh, <laughs> like, that's why I didn't want to do it at nighttime. Did you do your report at nighttime? Yeah, I did. And I did get scared. <sighs> Wow, you're brave. Yeah, I was babysitting because um, I'm always at one job or another, and I was and I was babysitting. The kids were asleep, and I was like, <laughs> I kept the one of the families I sit for. I was riding it in their house, and they have like a ton of windows, so like any time, and they also have like three cats. So like anytime I saw a reflection of anything moving, I was like, I'm definitely, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm definitely gonna die. <laughs> um yeah so i when i was doing my report my jacket has been hanging on my door this whole time like for a couple days but i just happened to like catch the the sleeve of it like peeking out from around the wall and Mm -hmm. i like jumped and i was like oh my god charles like literally calm down it's your jacket that has been there this whole time see like your mind totally like we were talking about the beginning of the episode your mind totally does play tricks on you like that but at any time it could be real and you could be like sarah winchester or the folks at trans allegheny and you could be haunted and that's what makes it a scary world out there so hold on to the people that you love bye bye i love you me there's a ghost in that tree. <laughs> Do you remember that one time I said there was the bed neck lady behind me? <laughs> <laughs>